Amir Gabishvili beat Andy Murray in the first round of the City Open. And he said in his press conference, said on Tennis Channel, and said to me after I saw him, he looked at me, he goes, that was, beat him 7-6 in the third. He goes, that was world, he just looked at me and said, that was world team tennis. He said, I played so many pressure points in the last three weeks that when I was out there in the tiebreaker in the biggest match of my life, I was totally cool. I had no nerves. Going out there and pulling off the biggest ups of his life, he was totally calm. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. This week's Sports Illustrated's Tennis Podcast. We have an in-studio guest today. You may think Serena Williams is the most dominant force in tennis these days, but my guest, Mark Ein, might challenge that. He's the founder and owner of the Washington Castles, which just won their fifth consecutive World Team Tennis title. Welcome. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me, John. So let's let's talk World Team Tennis first. I think you mentioned you mentioned the tournament in tennis. I think there's this natural affection for it. It's fun. It's Billie Jean. It very much <laughs> reflects her. And I think to the casual fan, they say, what is it? When people say, what's World Team Tennis? Where, where do you start? Yeah, I mean, so World Team Tennis is tennis in a team environment. It's like tennis in sort of a basketball or hockey kind of environment. It's it's uh, teams representing a city playing against each other, two men, two women, singles, doubles, and mix, five sets. And, uh, you know, I, I really think it's the greatest on-ramp we have in our sport because it appeals to the hardcore tennis fan. When you come to our matches, you'll see everyone in the tennis community there. But in addition to that, it appeals to a broader, just general sports fan, anyone who wants to watch a Washington team beat a Philly team or beat a Boston team. Um, it's two and a half hours. You know who's playing that night. And uh, and I think it's a really great introduction to the game for a lot of people. It also seems like it really serves this role in terms of experimentation, you know, whether it's no lead or whether it's allowing fans to move around. It has this this experimental quality, which I think is really helpful. Yeah, it's been very innovative over the years. I mean, everything from the multicolored court, I think, started, and ours takes it a little extreme, but it's uh, a little further. But the multicolored court to instant replay to... Um, playing lats to all kinds of things, on-court coaching, stuff like that, uh, started with World Team Tennis. And I think it's great that Billy over the years, Billy Jean, who is the founder of the league and um, has been innovative and willing to experiment, I think that's uh, it's served the league really well. How have you managed to win five <laughs> times in a row? You know, that's the thing about this that I, that I have to say has been really the most interesting and rewarding part of this experience because – Tennis players are individuals really their whole lives. They're individuals 11 months of the year. And for one brief period, other than maybe Davis Cup or Fed Cup, they come together and they play on a team. And they play for each other. They play for a community. They play for an organization. And uh, you know, I really think this we've built this culture on the team that when I look at and people compare it to, you look at any other sports franchise in any other sports league that's had success over a long time period, it feels that way. These players really get inspired to play for each other. They look on the bench. They support each other both during the matches and in practice. They look in the stands and they see these fans. I mean, different from a regular tennis tournament where generally there's not hugely partisan crowds. Maybe you do depending on what country someone's from. In World Team Tennis, there's no mistake who everyone in the stadium is rooting for. They're rooting for the whole town team. And it inspires these players to uh, really a level of intensity that you don't see generally in a tennis tournament. 
It seems like there are different ways to run these franchises, though. I mean, in, in past years, you'll see a guy, you know, sort of a one-night-only. It's almost an exhibition, or, you know, Andre Agassi will play for two nights. If you look at the roster, you wouldn't necessarily say before the season, oh, this is your dynasty team. It's not as though you've got, you know, Federer, Serena, and Maria Sharapova, and everybody else is dealing with, you know, junior college walk-ons. Well, we're not. I mean, our payroll the last couple of years has been middle of the pack, so it's not like we've just paid better players to come, which is why I really think our X factor has been the culture and the environment that's fostered on the team. And I think one of the secrets to success, you mentioned we've won five titles the last five years in a row and six and seven years, has been we have this core group of players who plays basically name, every I'll night. I'll let you do it. Name the name. Okay, Tell so them. Leander Pace, who's our captain, who is unbelievable. Um, obviously, just an incredibly exciting player to watch, but if you saw the highlights of our final, the intensity he brought out there set the tone for everyone. Um uh, Martina Hingis has played for us for the last three years, and she's been terrific and uh, has just been a great asset to the team. Um, Anastasia Rodianova has played for us for the last four years and her sister for two before that. So that um, we had Bobby Reynolds, who was an American who really this was uh, meant so much. I mean, he was great for us for six years, and then he left. And so this year we had a combination of Dennis Kudla, who actually grew up in Washington, and then Sam Query at the end, who loved it and had an incredible experience um, and really loved playing for the franchise. And then, uh, and then Murphy Jensen's been our coach. So that's been the core. Uh, we also had Madison Bringle this year who played uh, some matches when, when Martina wasn't around and played the finals for us. Local, too. Madison Delaware is from Delaware. Uh, the great thing is Dennis... Dennis, who I've known since he was 10 at, uh, from the, the Junior Tennis sure, sure. Champions in College Park, uh, used to come to our matches, and he sat with me, and he said, I can't wait someday till I can play for this team. And to have a local kid sort of coming as a fan and then ultimately playing, and he played fantastic, and he really bonded with Leander. I mean, that's, that's what sports are really made of, those kind of stories, and it was great to have that on our own franchise. Where are you putting these guys up when they're in town? Uh, either it depends year to year. It's either a hotel or this year we had basically furnished apartments, but each year they, they stay in the same place for three weeks. They run on the road. They're basically, they're basically at home. You said three weeks. And that, that to me is sort of one of the, I don't want to say shortcut. One of the challenges of this league is the tennis calendar. Um, someone, I don't know if I should reveal this, but I, I will anyway. Someone called me maybe a year or two ago, a management consultant, asking me all about World Team Tennis and what do you think we can do to build this and how do we, where do we go from here? And it seemed like some of the constrictions were financial, but some of them were just the tennis calendar. Where are you going to run basically a league with this 11th month season with a yeah. global workforce? What can we do with World Team Tennis to make it more than three fun weeks in the summer? Yeah, so... That's an interesting question, and we think and talk about that a lot. So at three weeks, we're really arguably the shortest sports league you would find, but we're also the longest tennis event. There's no tennis event that's longer than two weeks, so Grand Slams are two weeks. So it depends on your perspective on it. You could say it's a short sports league, but you could also say it's a long tennis event. I think we can be very successful in a three-week season. The, The calendar, regardless, is always a challenge, and there's a lot of competitive events that are competing to get the same players. But um, but I, I think three weeks in tennis is fine. I don't think it needs to be any longer than that. At different times over the 40-year history, by the way, this is the 40th anniversary of World Team Tennis, um, it has had different lengths. It's been at different times of the year. Um, I think 
given the current tennis calendar, that lengthening it should not be a primary objective of ours. I think being a really strong, having a really strong presence during these three weeks uh, can make us very successful. You're a, you're a businessman, you're a financier, <laughs> run a fund. What made you want to get into I mean, is this, is this pro bono? Is this something uh, community service or is, is yeah. this... Can you turn a profit running a world? Well, so so I was really interested. I was at the point in life where I've loved sports my whole life, and I was looking at buying either a sports team or into a group that was buying a sports team. And I had a friend of mine who played on tour, and he came off playing world team tennis for the first time. And he was a different player. He was totally animated, playing up to the fans. And I asked him, I said, what got into you? And he said, three weeks of world team tennis. And he goes, I realize that I'm so much better and the fans are so much more into it when I sort of play play up for them. And it just, a light bulb clicked. I knew of World Team Tennis from when I was a kid and I wondered why we'd never had a team in Washington. And I asked him to introduce me to Billie Jean King and I met her at the Open in 07 and she said, I've always wanted a team in D.C. And we went from there. My motivation for this really though was I thought it'd be a wonderful thing to give to my community. I grew up in Washington. I love tennis. I was a ball kid in the tournaments forever. And I thought, you know, what a great thing to give back to my community, to my tennis community, to my hometown, but then also use it as a platform to do great things in our community. We do clinics. We give out a 1,000 free tennis rackets every year. We give out – most of our matches totally sell out. We always give 200 tickets minimum away to kids who otherwise wouldn't have the chance to watch a match. So that's really the primary motivation. Where'd you get castles in the cradle oh. of democracy? Where do we get and, and spelling? Where are the national spelling bee is? Where do we get castles? Yeah, yeah. So I actually own a business in Washington that's the premier provider of security for office buildings, and it's called Castle Systems. And so I thought if I'm going to do this, that that would be a fun twist. And I actually had a, a, a really brilliant marketing guy propose the idea to me, and I wasn't sure it would work. And he sort of said, no, you're going to wrap it in a knight and this whole shield thing. And it's it's actually worked great. And I have to say, after eight years, that company has been around now 40 years, that I think Castle's Tennis like is more well-known than the Castle Systems it was originally named after. Served its business purpose. I can't think but of don't forget other sports out. teams. You know, the Green Bay Packers were named after a team. I mean, over the years. Oh, yeah, yeah. 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 No, I was trying to That's think the old other, tradition. Uh, other inanimate objects. But no, exactly, it's a throwback to... Uh, That's what owners used to do when they right. started sports teams. They name it after their companies or their business, and uh, and so I, that's, I went old school. The um, Is this a TV proposition? So we have a deal with ESPN. Um, there's, every night there was an ESPN 3 stream match. Um, the finals were in ESPN 2, so that was good. Uh, we work with Tennis Channel, a partner that we love, and they show matches um, during the season, we at different times have had a deal with Comcast Sportsnet, um, a really good deal uh, that just sort of depends on what else is going on. So I, I think the format, again, I think the format has really, really broad appeal. I would say the amount of people who want to watch a tennis match in any city is probably a tenth the amount of people who want to watch a Washington team play a Philly team or a Boston That's team or New York point. team. And so it really does have wide appeal. And and the format, once you understand it, um, is is great because it's condensed and you see a little bit of everything in a short amount of time. So whether you're there in person or you're watching on TV, I think it's got a wide appeal. Here's my idea. Accept, reject, amend. International world team tennis. I mean, why, why aren't we doing this in Europe simultaneously? Well, so obviously one of the big developments in the tennis world last year was Mahesh Papati's IPTL. Right. They, they misappropriated the... Well. I, I told Billie Jean and Alana they've got a... Uh, well. 
uh, imitation is the most sincere form of flattery. So, um, but look, what they did is they sort of took the same concept and they supersized it. They got the best players in the world. They put them in huge stadiums. They got really, really wealthy owners to put a lot of money behind it. They have big sponsors. And, and you know, the thing, again, that I, I – I, if there's one thing I wish people understood more, and it's true in our league, and I think from everything I've heard it was the same in the IPTL, is how much the players get into it when they play this. Um, our players are so many. We've never had a player played for our team who didn't want to come back and play. And there's something so special about it. And even players like Sam Query has done everything in the world. He is so excited to come back and play the whole season next year because he just is such a different feeling to be on a team as opposed to just be by yourself. And it's interesting. Uh, last week, t- uh, Tamir Gabishvili beat Andy Murray in the first round of the City Open. And he said in his press card, said on Tennis Channel, and said to me after I saw him, he looked at me, he goes, that was, he beat him 7-6 in the third. He goes, that was world, he just looked at me and said, that was world team tennis. He said, I played so many pressure points in the last three weeks that when I was out there in the tiebreaker in the biggest match of my life, I was totally cool. I had no nerves. Oh, and great. isn't that, yeah. and, that's, and he said that to everyone and he really meant it that like after all the intensity and pressure of that going out there and pulling off the biggest ups of his life he was totally calm and I think that's one of the things that people oftentimes play their best coming off world team tennis because the format really is pressure packed and intense and it trains them that every point matters and um and it means a lot to them. So I, I think and hope that there's a bigger place in our sport for team events. Obviously, Davis Cup and Fed Cup have long traditions, and you see the emotion. Team, our team tennis around 40 years. Mahesh's is just getting started. There's talk about other ones. But, you know, let's not forget that when World Team Tennis started, it sold out Madison Square Garden. It sold out the Forum in L.A. The owners were the same owners who were the biggest sports owners, the Crafts and the Buses and the Colangelos. I mean, yeah, Lamar Hunt. Lamar yeah, Hunt. Lamar I mean, this was the this format, this format had that kind of appeal. I would say that we still need to be better and better at how we put this on, and the calendar is more competitive than it used to be. But this product at its core for a long time has proven to have a lot of appeal both to fans and to the players. So apart from being a world team tennis owner, you're a player in my research. You're a player. <laughs> you, you have ATP points. Yes. How did that come about? Um, so another friend of mine who was on tour called me about seven, eight years ago, and he said, what are you doing next week? And I said, I'm in the middle of buying a company. Why? And he said, because I have a wild card in doubles in Hawaii. Can you make it? And I said, I can't. I can't leave next week. But... He uh, came to me again and uh, and had the opportunity to enter into a challenger uh, and bring whatever partner he wanted. And so we do- we did it. And so I've done that about seven or eight times. And it's a I did it uh, two weeks ago in Lexington, Kentucky. And it's it's really an amazing experience. I mean it it definitely gives you a keen appreciation for how hard it is. Um, you know, challengers are you know uh, you know there there's there's events that are even tougher than those there's futures but it's it's hard it's not an easy life you know um and those guys are out there really fighting for their lives fighting to make it and it gives you a real appreciation for how much how hard it is what a grind it is but it's also an incredible opportunity to get out there and uh and play play you must have won a match though if you have uh, we did someone got hurt <laughs> oh, don't admit that. Just say like we did. It's okay. It's the truth. But uh, yeah, the guy that we played started. He had defaulted the day before, and then he got hurt. And um, so you do get points for that. So that was a fun thing to have on my record. The, the ATP computer has immortalized you. It, it does. Apart from having points and owning a franchise, USTA board member. Yeah. 
we could we could do a whole session on this, but just let's just talk basic. I mean, when everyone who has any relationship with tennis, it's been a theme on all these podcasts. Everyone has suggestions, and everybody loves the sport and has fondness and frustrations. What do you sort of see overarching as as challenges and mission as a board member? Well, just to be clear, the board, uh, you know, really governs and oversees. There's an incredible permanent staff who runs the organization. So they really make all the day-to-day decisions. Um, Look, I think that there's two things that everyone involved in the USTA would say are the important things. We have really run one of the great sports events, sporting events in the world. Um, On every level, it's as well run as anything you'll find. And uh, it drives a lot of resources for the organization in tennis in America. So just making sure that that event is always operating at the absolute highest level um, is critical. And that's, uh, you know, and so there's huge investment now in the roof and in the whole tennis center. So that's a big thing. And just making sure that goes smoothly is key. And then the other thing is, is just to try to grow the game. And it's, uh, you know, just like World Team Tennis, the sports landscape's only more and more competitive. There's a lot more things competing for people's attention. And so just making sure that kids get exposed to the game, that people participate in it uh, from their early parts of their lives through their whole lives, I think that's the other thing that we want to make sure as many people enjoy the game of tennis as possible. In your day job, are you you more growth or value? It's <laughs> a setup to my next question. I uh, So I like to start my investments with value and then grow. Good answer. Um, that in mind. No, that's a good answer. So, someone Time raised this point choice. to me uh, at Wimbledon, which I thought was interesting. They said, you know, everyone's obsessed with growth and with improving ratings and with trends and vectors that go in one direction. Why don't we just say tennis is what it is? It's a nice demographic. This is sort of our critical mass. And enjoy it if you're in the club and if you're not that's your loss and let's stop with this fixation on trying to be the next nfl and just solidify what we have it's an interesting uh observation or or question i've actually never actually heard anyone seriously ask that but it's a fair thing to ask i mean i think from my experience in the world that if you don't grow you die and it is hard to just put a moat around yourself and say this is what we're going to be um, because you always have to have the next generation interested. And if you sort of just protect what you have, you're probably more vulnerable to sliding down than going up. I also think that people who are into the sport and passionate about the sport really believe this is an incredible sport for people. I, I mean, forget about what I've done later in my life in tennis, what I've done in the rest of my life. I give a huge amount of the credit to that from playing tennis as a kid to the self-reliance, the discipline, the fair play, you know, when you play with others on the team, the camaraderie. I mean, all the things you learn on tennis court are applicable for the rest of life, in addition to just that it's fun to go out and play the sport. And I think we all want as many people to have the chance to get exposed to it like we were and and that it should be bigger. It should be bigger than it is uh, here. And in, and in many places in the world, it is bigger, and it should be bigger than it is in the United States. So I, um, it's an interesting question, but I... I still am passionate about trying to expose as many people as possible to the game. So what do you give, give us, uh, when, you, when you look at ways to grow, what sort of springs to the top of the list? So I think a couple things. I think that you really have to start kids early, and I like a lot of the things we're doing with 10 and under, and 
Um, you know, I think, I mean, it's interesting for the longest time you would, you know, you'd start kids with maybe a smaller racket, but the same ball and same court. And I think this whole idea of sure. down, it's the same thing that you start with the small football or soccer or T-ball. I mean, every other sport had its entry path and we didn't. So I think that's really smart. And it's really smart to emphasize that to get kids early. Um, I think uh, it's interesting when you look at the statistics of how many kids play high school tennis and then never play again. We lose a lot of kids after high school forever. So tennis college on campus to keep people still playing and then into adulthood I think is important. And the last thing that I'm also passionate about is I just think having a very vibrant network of pro events is super important. I think if you want to build the aspirational and inspirational link to kids – you need to have that. And if you think about it in the States, in the top 30 markets in the United States, you have football, baseball, basketball, hockey, and now soccer for four to six months of the year. So if you're a kid in one of those places, you're constantly getting exposed to those sports. You can go watch them. You see it on TV. Those those athletes are stars. In tennis, when I was a kid and I was a ball kid, and I don't think if I was a ball kid, I probably wouldn't have ended up owning the team because it was another connection to the sport, another way to be inspired by the sport that uh, when I was a kid, there were like 42 WTA and ATP events, and now there's like 12 or 13. And so to me, we're never going to get 42 ATP or WTA events, but we can have a very vibrant World Team Tennis League that can exist in a lot of cities in that same three periods, so you don't have to change the calendar. We're doing a lot more with college tennis, which I think can fill an important gap, and we're doing good stuff there. And so I think just making sure that kids can get inspired by the best in the sport, whether it's pro or the best college players, is is a really important component to growing the game, too. I always say the same thing. that Not the decline of American players, but the decline of American events. It used to be, you know, you live in Chicago, and at least once a year you get to be a ball boy or you, you get to sit in the stands. That decline is been pretty striking i think i i couldn't agree more it's i mean it's 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 at some level a little bit ethereal it's a little not tangible but it's real and uh you know if you're a kid in any of those other cities where we don't have tennis and you have another sport that you're gonna have to be lucky to get that kid inspired to be a great tennis player or or roger federer might play three events in North that, America, that's a whole greatest athlete in the sport. He may only. But that's a whole. I mean, that's a whole nother thing that gets talked about. But that I also feel really strongly about is you know I, you talk about. I mean, Sam Query is the 30th best tennis player in the world, not even the United States, and he's still relatively unknown. If you're the 30th best basketball, I mean, no. any other sport, you're on the All Star uh, game, and right? Your, and your grandkids' grandkids aren't flying coach. Yeah, no. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of wealth involved, but there's also just in terms of the role model you are in any other sport, right. you're an All Star, and so. I think making it so that we're not so dependent on a small um, on a small number of people is another thing that over time it's another thing that team sport that having team events do because people fall in love with it because you play for the hometown team not just because of of who you are. Merchandising, talk about that another time. <laughs> uh, so lastly, this is something we actually talked about at Wimbledon. I don't know if you remember that you've hired some former tennis players in your business. I'm always interested in this transition yeah. in athletes from competing and the highs and the focus that goes with that to transitioning into sort of civilian life. Some people handle it better than others. Um, I don't know if you remember, we, we talked yeah, about I that do. a little bit. I, I mean, tell us, I, I kind of want to reprise that conversation. What, what are some of the traits that you notice and what are some of the missteps you notice when athletes, tennis players in particular, see the end of their careers and think about how am I going to transition into yeah. the business world? So as someone who's looked to hire these people, um, I think that in many ways, tennis is an incredible training for someone to enter the workforce. And it's, I have a bunch of friends in the American players who've done an amazing job 
uh, Richie Rannenberg, Paul Goldstein, who was a huge success in the tennis world before he went back to coach Stanford. And they basically, when you talk to them, they'll say, I just applied everything I did to become a great tennis player to the workforce. Like, I know what I didn't know, but I worked hard. I learned how to improve. I took all the skills that took me to the top of the tennis world and I put it to my business, my into my business experience. And so people like that actually are wonderful hires. They're wonderful. They can, they've had great careers. Um, I think that one thing that does happen is a lot of times tennis players wait too long. They, um, they wait till they're over and until uh, their career's over to start thinking about it. And the best ones realize while they're still on tour that they can get to know people when they're on tour and they can invite people to come watch them in the tournament and sit in their box and do all that kind of stuff. And they, they cultivate a set of relationships that will help them and spend time with those people. Those are the ones, in my experience, who've been, who've been successful. I unfortunately see others who wait till it's over and then they start focusing on it. And then it's, it's tough because for a lot of players, this is really all that they've known their whole lives. And it's a lot harder to get your call answered when you were the guy who used to play at Wimbledon than when you're saying, hey, why don't you come watch me at Wimbledon this year? That's great. But yeah, you, see yeah. The, uh, you still have access to the backstage passes. and the, That's a good... Yeah. And so the guys and women who've done that um, have been really successful. And then I also think one thing I think the tour's done, both tours have done a good job in recent years is they really have focused on education, continuing at all. A lot of our players... Uh, or taking online education and focusing on this because you have—I mean, you have a lot of time. There's only so many hours when you're at a tournament you can play, and so I like to see that. I think it's good, and I think that's the biggest thing: is you just can't wait till it's over. You need to prepare yourself while you're playing for life, uh, life after tennis. So finally, just sort of macro view: you're very much involved in the sport on a number of levels. You like where things are. You're wringing your hands, or you. Happy, frustrated, content. I mean, what when people say, "What's up with you?" You and I probably get this all the time. Oh, you're in tennis. I remember I used to love watching Connors and McEnroe and yeah. Agassi and Sampras, and now, mm. you know, maybe my interest has tailed off. Or other people come to the sport late. I mean, when you someone says, "What's up with tennis?" Yeah, I mean, I I in there's a lot. I love where we are in many ways. I think the athletes, what they're doing on the court, has never been like this before. You talk to people who only retired ten years ago, and they're amazed by what you see. And the quality of the human beings in our sport, frankly, compared to a lot of others, but we have incredible people who get it. They get the business of it. They get the fact that they're role models. They get that they're custodians for the sport for the next generation. It's inspiring. It really is when you see not everyone's perfect, but, boy, it's inspiring to see athletes who really get the bigger picture and are human beings that you can relate to and, and want to hold out as role models. So from that perspective, it's great. I think we live in a very multicultural, global world, so the fact that not – America doesn't dominate, I think is fine because these players, both on the men's and women's side, are compelling human beings that I think any kid can relate to. So there's so much good. And around the globe, the sport's doing really well. Obviously, we would all love in the United States to see the sport have a bigger you know, uh, role in the U.S. sports landscape. Uh, we do great at the big events. Um, and there's a lot of promising things at the grassroots level that I think bode well. There's a lot of promising things at the pro ranks, both men and women, for next generation coming up that certainly will translate. I think we need to continue to have vibrant pro events, as we just spoke about. I think that's really, really important. Um, so overall, I think it's a wonderful you, you sport. You the stock? I, uh, yeah, it's undervalued, I think. I think there's a lot more upside than downside but we're going to have to execute to uh, to reach the promise that it should and can be. Mark Ein, 
Thanks so much. You just won your Serena's going for. I was thinking the Serena's going for her fifth consecutive Grand Slam. You've just won your fifth consecutive title. Thanks for coming by. Thanks for having me. All right, everyone. That was the SI Tennis Podcast for this week. Mark Ein, great in studio guest. We'll do it again in seven days.